Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one day out of the year that every child loves, it would be his or her birthday. The decorations, the cake, the presents, the parties with family and friends, it's all very exciting. Now, as you get older, perhaps you find your birthday not that exciting. For all, it's one more year of getting older. It's another opportunity to stand there awkwardly while people sing happy birthday to you. But you know what? Perhaps there's still something in all of us that still enjoys having a birthday. And that's because a birthday is about celebrating a person, celebrating them. It's about focusing attention on them and thanking God for that person and their life. That day gives you a chance to reflect on what that person means to you and how your life is is better with that person uh, in your life. Now, for people, we set aside one specific day for that, celebrating a person. But when it comes to God, that's something we can do and, and should do every day. Of course, not celebrating a birthday, but celebrating a person, rejoicing in someone. And let me ask, do you ever do that? Celebrate God. By that I mean, do you spend time being thankful for Him, who He is, what He's like? Rejoicing in that, that the Lord is your God. And do you ever reflect on how blessed you are to have God in your life? Does that then motivate you to praise Him? Praise Him today on Sunday, but on every day. You know, this was something that Old Testament Israel was called to do, to celebrate the Lord, rejoice in Him. Israel was God's holy nation. You can read about that, especially in a place like Exodus 19. He set them apart as His own. He was their God. They were His people. And none of the other nations around Israel had such a wonderful privilege. Uh, None of them knew the Lord, and all of them served worthless idols. But Israel had a far greater treasure, as Psalm 33 verse 12 says, Blessed or happy is a nation whose God is the Lord. And in the Old Testament context, that was Israel. The Lord was their God. And you know what? Those words are still true today. Blessed or happy is a nation whose God is the Lord. And we might not be Old Testament Israel, but as members of Christ's New Testament church, we are God's holy nation. In fact, we read that from 1 Peter 2. There he writes, But you, the church, believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are God's holy nation. And we are called to declare God's excellencies. That is, his wonderful qualities, his character, his perfections. 
And how can we do that? Well, one way we can do that is through the words of our text this morning, Psalm 33. See, Psalm 33 is all about celebrating the Lord and remembering that we have every reason to rejoice in Him. So that also brings us to the sermon theme, which is this. As God's holy nation, we have every reason to rejoice in the Lord. We'll see this is because our God is, first of all, the trustworthy creator. Second of all, sovereign over the nations. And finally, uh, the Lord is always keeping a close eye on his people. So Psalm 33, it begins with a call to praise. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So a, a call for all of us, all God's people, to praise the Lord. And the psalm then proceeds to give many reasons to praise God and rejoice in him. The first reason for praise is because of God's character, his perfections. He is completely trustworthy. He's true. He's faithful. He's dependable in every way. And we see this from God's Word. God shows us through His Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. As verse 4 says, the Word of the Lord is upright. And upright has a sense of being right and, and honest, a correct, proper. God's word is dependable and true. And that's because God never, never talks out of both sides of his mouth saying contradictory things. So the Bible will never deceive you. It's because God means what he says. And he says what he means. And so you can count on his word. And our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, he spoke this way too. Read the Gospels. He spoke what was right and true without apology. He spoke with absolute certainty. He never minced his words. You never had to second guess what he meant because there was no hint of deception. And his teaching was completely trustworthy and true. So that's God's word. We see also God's trustworthiness in his works. Verse 4 says, all his work is done in faithfulness. And the word faithfulness here refers to something that is uh, truthful, reliable, similar to God's word. The Lord acts always according to his character. As verse 5 puts it, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. He does it always. And this means that when God promises something, He will fulfill it. He plans and then He carries it out. He hates what is evil and loves what is good all the time. There is no change in His character or how he acts. From eternity to eternity, God remains the same. The Lord God, as he's revealed in the Bible, is the same today. He has not changed one little bit 
always steady, always reliable, always trustworthy. And imagine for a moment if that were not so. What if God were not reliable or trustworthy, or what if he changed constantly? Well, you would wake up in the morning and and wonder, well, what is the Lord going to be like today? Can I expect the same as yesterday? Will what he promised long ago still be be true today? Or do I need to worry that somehow he's changed and that I don't know who he is anymore? You see, it would create all kinds of uncertainty and anxiety in our mind. We would not be able to have a proper relationship with the Lord at all. And we would have no anchor in life. And we would have no sure hope for the future. What do we have instead? We have a God that is supremely trustworthy and dependable. And that gives you stability in life when you build your life on God. Every morning when you wake up, you don't need to wonder what God will be like today. You know what He will be like. He will be the same as yesterday and same as He was the day before that and so on into eternity. It's the same God as revealed in the Bible. And each new day, He will always remain the same. He will always love righteousness. He will always be faithful to His promises. He will always be the rock to whom you can continually come no matter what you are struggling with in your life. And this trustworthiness of God, His dependability, it's also confirmed in creation. We read in verse 5, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So, the steadfast love of the Lord, what is that? Well, normally I don't try to teach congregation Hebrew words. After all, you don't know how to read Hebrew anyways, but today I'm going to make an exception. The word steadfast love here in Hebrew is the word chesed. Uh, That's H-E-S-E-D, so hesed, but with a ch at the beginning, chesed. The Lord's chesed is his covenant loyalty, his covenant faithfulness that's on display on every page in the Bible. It's that unfathomable love of God within himself that causes him to act that kept calling Israel back to himself when they continually wandered off. And Yahweh's chesed is summed up in those well-known words from Lamentations 3, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, his chesed, never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. And that covenant loyalty, faithfulness, that chesed, is on display in creation. Think of God's creating and sustaining power also as described in this psalm. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded 
and it stood firm. See, when you look at this creation, when you study it, you can see that the earth is fine-tuned for life. What does that mean? It means that conditions on the earth need to be just right in order for life to exist here. And if certain things, certain variables were changed just a little bit, that life would be snuffed out here on this planet. What do we see? By and large, creation is, is stable. And life has existed here and flourished for thousands of years. And the earth continues to be a beautiful place where we can live and thrive in. And why is that? It's not because creation has power in itself. Creation is stable because God is stable. He keeps the conditions of the earth just right in order that life may go on. As Hebrews 1 says about the Son of God, He sustains the universe by the word of His power. And all that displays His faithfulness, His chesed, Yes, there are times when creation seems unstable. Uh, think of the great flood in Noah's day, when those waters that God had put in the, the storehouses in their proper place, he gathered into one place, as verse 7 describes, how they covered the entire earth, destroying all of life. And that was because the Lord loves righteousness and justice. And yet, what did God promise after the flood? As long as the earth endures, God would not destroy the entire world with a flood again. And he's been faithful to that promise ever since that day. So that's his faithfulness and steadfast love on display. What if God were not like this? Well, again, life would be entirely unpredictable, unlivable. We wouldn't be able to plan for the future, We would never know if the seasons would ever change or whether conditions would stay long enough to make a living or grow food. Instead, we have a faithful God sustaining life in a predictable way so that you can live and flourish and glorify Him. And that's a reason to rejoice in the Lord. This is your God, your trustworthy Creator. That brings us to our second point. So the first part of this psalm calls us to praise our trustworthy Creator. By God's power, conditions are stable in creation so that life might survive and even flourish. Yet, when we look at this world, sometimes the stability of creation is overshadowed by the instability of the world, of the nations. So often it looks like a world of complete turmoil. There's a war in Ukraine, concerns about nations like China and their aggression. There's inflation taking off. You can list many more things. And verse 8 calls on the people of the Lord, uh, people of the world, sorry, to fear the Lord and to stand in awe of him. That's what God calls the nations to do, fear Him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to stand in deep respect of God, to honor Him as a majestic King of the world, 
It means to turn away from evil because you know that God hates sin with a holy hatred and is the judge of all the earth. But what do we see? We don't see many people fearing the Lord as they ought to. Instead, we see so many provoking God to anger. We see so many people and world leaders with wicked plans and evil intentions. And all the stability of creation itself cannot overcome this instability of of the world, of the nations. And so the firm foundation we have in God, as we saw in the first point, seems almost undercut by a world in rebellion against him. And yet, even in this, we can rejoice in the Lord. Despite what our eyes see, a seemingly complete instability, there is still a stability in this area too, in a very profound sense. And why is that the case? It's because our God, the Lord, is sovereign over the nations. He is king over them. The nations and the rulers of this world are not outside of his power, his control, and his plan. Just listen to verse 14. The Lord is enthroned in heaven, and he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. So we might have kings and presidents and prime ministers ruling on the earth, but God is reigning in heaven over top of them all. Maybe wicked rulers making wicked plans. Yes, there might be loads of turmoil and suffering. And in a sense, uncertainty. Yes, persecution of God's holy nation, the church, might be a real possibility. But what is also a reality are the words of verses 10 and 11 of our text. There we read, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. You see, God's faithfulness in creation might be easy for us to see. Here we are in summertime again after a long winter, the leaves are on the trees, we had some rainfall this morning, hot weather yesterday, that's his faithfulness. But this reality of God frustrating the plans of the people and of the nations might be harder to see. It really takes the eyes of faith to believe these things, to see them. Because just looking with our physical eyes might seem to deny and undercut this confession from Scripture. So how can we learn to see with the eyes of faith? Oh, we can over the eyes of faith when we remember to first look at Scripture and then look at the world and view the world through the lens of Scripture. See, what do we see in the Bible? In the Bible, we see indeed God frustrating the wicked plans of the people. And there's 
There's many examples of that. Think of Absalom's rebellion against King David. In every way, Absalom looked like he would surely crush David's kingship. His wicked rebellion seemed entirely successful. But the Lord had other plans. God used the advice of Hushai to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel. And by that advice, Absalom's rebellion came crashing down. Absalom himself died hanging from a tree. So that's Absalom. Think also of the book of Esther and the wicked plans of Haman. Haman despised Mordecai the Jew for not bowing down to him. And so he came up with a terribly wicked plan to destroy all the Jews. And he also made a gallows over 20 meters tall to hang Mordecai from it. But what happened? The plot was discovered. God used Queen Esther to frustrate Haman's wicked plans, bring them to nothing. And the lives of God's people were saved. And Haman ended up being hung from his own gallows. God frustrating the plans of the nations. We could mention several more, but the greatest example is, of course, found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Many wicked men plotted and schemed against Jesus, the Son of God. This included the rulers of the Jews, like the Pharisees. This included men like Judas Iscariot, who agreed to betray the Lord. And many others joined in, even unwittingly, such as Pontius Pilate and King Herod. Behind it all was the devil. And this time, the wicked plan, the plot against the Lord's anointed, seemed to succeed perfectly. It looked like total defeat for Jesus. Christ was crucified on the cross just as they intended. And there he hung from the cross in terrible agony. His enemies mocked him as he appeared completely helpless. You know, instead of Absalom hanging from the tree, instead of Haman hanging from the gallows, this time it was Jesus, our Lord. But in this too, or rather, in this supremely, God was frustrating the wicked plans of the people. Yes, their plans appeared to succeed, but it was by crucifying Jesus that they were making him king of the world. And so they brought about their own downfall. And the devil brought about his own defeat in the death of Jesus Christ. You see, it's by the death of Christ that not only has he been made king, but that your sins are forgiven through faith in him. It's through that saving work of Jesus Christ that you have been redeemed, bought out of, the, out of the cold, evil hands of the devil, and you belong to the Lord 
through the blood of Christ. And this also helps us to look with the eyes of faith when we see turmoil in the world, when we see a wicked people making wicked plans. The Lord still works to frustrate the wicked plans of the people, even when those plans seem to be succeeding. When the Son of God was hanging from the cross, everything in the world seemed upside down and backwards. It was simply not how things were, were to, meant to be. That the sinless God should be crucified and cursed. Yet God was working in a marvelous way to accomplish His purpose for His holy nation. And so, as we read in this psalm, His plan, His counsel will remain forever from generation to generation, and He is still at work in the world. And though His holy nation, the church, might be attacked, we might be persecuted, God's holy nation will not be crushed. It will prevail. The church will not be snuffed out. It brings us to our last point. Now, what is one reason God's plans will succeed against all the scheming of the, of the wicked people of the earth? Well, it's because God sees everything. He sees everything that happens in this world. He sees everyone. He, at every moment, sees every intention of everyone's heart, and he can hold it all together. He sees it all. Listen to our text. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So our text is clear. The Lord always is closely watching everything that happens here on the earth. Everything. Nothing escapes his, his notice. Uh, nothing that you do escapes his notice. Nothing your neighbor do escapes his notice. Everyone. He never goes on holidays. He never falls asleep or gets tired of watching. And as the Lord looks down from heaven, he sees... By and large, two groups of people. And the first group are those who trust in their own strength, in their own creativity, or their own intelligence. But think, for example, of the, of the Tower of Babel. The people, they got together, they started working hard, and they worked smart. They were going to build a city and a name for themselves in defiance of God. And they made great progress. And that same attitude continues on in the world. Psalm 33 hints at this. Kings often think that they can be saved by their great army. Their trust is in their army. Warriors might think they can win by their own strength. A war horse, in the time of the Old Testament, looks so powerful. This is basically the strongest military weapon for them. So many trusted in their horses. But in contrast to this attitude, there is the people of God. God's holy nation. And ultimately, our trust is in the Lord. 
Yes, God may use earthly means like an army, like a war horse, but we look to Him for victory in all things, success in all things. And yes, we don't do this perfectly. We may be tempted to put our hope in human strength. But by God's grace, we know in the end that our help is in the name of the Lord as we confess at the beginning of every service. One reason why we do this is because His watchful eye is on us at all times. Listen to verses 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that is, His chesed, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. His eye is on us, not just to casually observe. His eye is on us in a different way. He looks down with constant love on the people He has chosen in Jesus Christ. Constant love. And He never takes His eye of us, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances in life. And as the psalm says, he, he delivers our souls from death. And that's true even though we might physically die. Because he has already done this in Jesus Christ through the resurrection. See, death no longer has mastery over us who believe in Jesus Christ. Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin, is an entrance into eternal life. Psalm 33 says God provides for his people. God keeps his people alive during famine. And yes, we might go through difficult times, even excruciating times. But the Lord sustains his people, keeping us in his care. He keeps his promise in Jesus Christ that nothing in all the world shall separate us from his love in Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8 tells us, as it says, Who shall separate us from the love of, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And this, beloved, this is one of the greatest reasons to rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what. You know, God's holy nation is made up of weak people. We are weak creatures. But we are more than conquerors in all of those things through the God who loved us in Jesus Christ and always keeps his eye on us. Because of that, we can rejoice no matter what. That's also why this psalm ends with a, a closing confession and then a prayer. First, the confession. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. A wonderful confession of faith, words to memorize. But then there's the closing prayer. It's short, but profound. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, your chesed, 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. That's his covenant faithfulness, his unfailing love and mercy. This is what we long for. This is what we trust in. And this is what we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.